Hello and welcome to Comedy in a Nutshell, with me, your host, Mark Decano. You know, there's no substitute for the word comedy in my book, because none of it would make any sense if I just start using random words. So to help me find good words, I've asked people in and around the world of comedy that I admire and respect to define what it means to them. I love talking to comedians about comedy, and if you like to hear what they have to say as much as I do, then please like, subscribe, rate, review and share the podcast. Thank you. When my guest this episode was facing political instability, social upheaval and questionable dietary choices, she came to the UK anyway. Leaving her native Argentina and coming to London to steal our jobs and our women, she's earned them. One of the hottest new comedians on the circuit, Victoria Alsina. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm good, and yourself? I'm very well, thank you. I'm really excited to talk to you, so if you're happy and you're ready, we'll dive straight in. Yeah, I'm happy, I'm ready, I'm excited, Mark, thank you. So, growing up in Argentina, I mean, is there a comedy scene in Argentina? How did comedy come into your life? So, growing up in Argentina, when I was a child, I always uh, watched comedy. Now I can realize that um, there are some Argentinian comedians, um, which it wasn't stand-up comedy. It was mostly sketch comedy. Uh, It was on TV. Mm -hmm. And uh, there is a form of stand-up, but I would say it's more of a storytelling. Mm. Uh, stand-up is quite recent um the first time i i saw someone doing stand-up in spanish in argentina um there is this famous youtuber malena pichot which i think it was the first argentinian stand-up comedian that that i um that caught my eye and this was i was like 20 years old before that i watched a lot of comedy uh sketch shows in argentina Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Saturday Night Live, I used to love it as a child. The Nanny, um, The Simpsons, which is, I mean, they have a, a comedic factor. It's not a standard comedy, but I, I felt fascinated. I loved Saturday Night Live. I really loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, whose line is it anyway? Um, so I think those are the biggest influences when I, when I was a child. My parents also watch a lot of comedy. Uh, most of these uh, programs were introduced uh, by them uh, to me. <laughs> and they used to watch a lot of Argentinian comedy. A lot of people that I'm not going to mention because you're not going to to, to know them. <laughs> but yeah, I think I always watch comedy until I realize that there is this stand-up comedy thing, uh, which I, I believe is a, is American. The it's not yeah. it's not from Argentina the way that 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 you that we do comedy. I mean, I have spoken to other international acts that they also told me that there was not such thing as stand up in their country while they were growing up. Right. So it's fairly contemporary. Now there is a, a stand up scene, and there's a stand up scene in English in in Buenos Aires, which is a, it's a very international city. So. Right. Um, I don't know. Hopefully one day I perform at my own country. <laughs> How familiar are you with this new stand-up scene in South America? I'm I know some uh I know some some of the people who are performing right now. Right. Um one of them got stranded in COVID uh in London and we had to become friends. <laughs> I forced her to become friends. That's the story. This is one of the contemporary comedians that that performed with with this other comedian that I told you, Marina Pichot. Mm. Ana Carolina is her name. Uh, she's mostly performs. Uh, all of them perform in Spanish. 
Right. That's the thing. Um, I don't know any other comedian besides Lucila and myself, who are Argentinian, yeah. and that perform in English. It's a very stupid thing to do if you think about it. What, why would you do that in another language that is not yours? <laughs> Nobody knows. <laughs> Desperation. I feel a, a, a need to be understood right. by people who will never understand you. <laughs> but you try, really. You really try. With your familiarity of comedy in Spanish, then with your with your uh, experience, I mean, there must be linguistic nuances <laughs> as well as cultural nuances. I have always been told that I'm pretty funny in Spanish and in mm -hmm. English, um, but of course, <laughs> naturally funny uh, in Spanish more than in English. Uh, I think it comes across uh, more because I'm more free and I can right. express myself in a million other ways that, that I wouldn't be able to do in English. But I have never done comedy in Spanish. Right. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> there was a conference. Uh, I have a job, believe it or not. How, how is she not on TV <laughs> considering her talent for comedy, her eloquence when speaking English? Nobody knows. So I have a job, I have my own company, and I do search engine optimization for uh, tech companies, mostly in the crypto and blockchain space. Fascinating. There are many conferences uh, in English and Spanish, more in English than in Spanish, but now people um, are organizing these kind of conferences in Argentina as well. They booked me to do a, a 10 minute set in the biggest conference in Spanish that there is right now in Argentina. Mm -hmm. It was going to be my first set. It was going to be record, pre recorded because it was for COVID times. And they didn't approve my script. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Why didn't they approve my script? Because I said that in this industry, SEO, surgeons and optimization, there are more men than women and apparently that wasn't something that would that was something that would would uh, upset sponsors <laughs> and guests so i told them to fuck themselves and i didn't perform <laughs> i don't know if i can say things like this if i if, we're, if you're going to be no you say whatever you like Okay, so uh, I'm I'm available for booking for conferences. Uh, very flexible for conferences. For conferences. Yes. Yeah. So let's talk about how you got your start in comedy then. So 2019, Logan Murray, is that correct? Yeah, you have been doing you have been doing your research, even though now I say 2020. <laughs> no, actually, yeah. Um, I, so that people say, how long has she been going? One year. <laughs> No, uh, 2019, Logan Murray. Yeah. Um, I, again, let's go back to my conference life. I was doing a lot of conferences in, in SEO. I, uh, for, um, sorry, not in SEO, uh, for SEO, which is my job. Mm -hmm. I feel these conferences are incredibly boring. I generally go, I, I present my, my slides and I leave. I don't want to have contact with anyone in this industry, this would be great if then people on LinkedIn see this, <laughs> this, this comedy podcast and said she actually hates every one of us. Yes, people in SEO are incredibly boring. Most of them are Disney adults, which Olga Koch uh, explains very well on her last show. 
And on Twitter, they just talk about SEO, right? So SEO is their whole personality. Mm. I never fit well there, and uh, but I also in in those kind of environment. But I also wanted to impress people. So the first conference I was booked, there I was booked. I was working at Barclays, SEO at Barclays. That was my life, <laughs> um, and I was booked explicitly for a very very big conference because they told they told me we need a woman. Wow, <laughs> this is pretty me too. We need a woman. Okay, I'm a woman. <laughs> I can speak up to a certain degree. I know about the SEO. I, I have conducted a quite interesting project for Barclays in, in terms of SEO. Maybe people want to hear about it. <laughs> uh, now, this topic had already been covered by every other of the speakers. Mm -hmm. And all of the other speakers were really big deals in the industry. So I said, what am I going to do with this? I mean, uh, <laughs> like... I'm not better than any of these people. I'm the most junior here. They only put me because they need a woman. The only thing I can do is to be funny. Yeah. <laughs> and I did that. And the moment I, I went down, um, I came out of stage, the organizer asked me if I did stand-up comedy. Right. And I said, no, is this, well, maybe you should. And from that moment on, I kept, like, for a month or two, I kept uh, hearing a lot of people say, oh, you're so funny, you're so funny, do something about it including a police report. The policeman <laughs> said, this is the funniest police report I have ever heard from someone who has just been victim of a burglary. You should do something with it. <laughs> uh, and then I had a bad breakup. Uh, at the moment, I said, uh, uh, before I had a breakup, burglary, SEO, policeman telling me I'm funny. Yeah. And, I, I, and that happened. That's how it happened. The burglary was a tipping point. I mean, I've got to ask about that, haven't I? What kind of burglary <laughs> prompts you to make a, a funny statement? To well, I I have a I have written about this, mm -hmm. but I have never done it live or anything. I'm not going to jump in, in the bits or anything. I'm just going to tell the story that it was. Yeah. Um so I was victim of a burglary. Someone, a guy with an axe, with a hatchet broke into my house, into my flat where I used to live before. And I was there at the house. Wow. I, that, that day, so I was very stressed because of the breakup, because uh, I was changing jobs. I was starting stand-up. And, and, and one day I was given the uh, good news. Uh, I was still working at Barclays, and I really wanted to work for blockchain and cryptocurrencies. And I got a job at the company I really wanted. Mm. And that day... I felt very happy. I said, I'm going, I'm going home early. I'm not going to get smashed with these bankers, Barclays people. You don't have a purpose in life. <laughs> I'm going home early. I'm going to smoke a joint and relax. <laughs> so 11 p.m. on a Friday, I was asleep in my house. Yeah. And somebody with a hatchet broke in. Wow. So... The, and there is this moment when you first hear the glass, first you hear the glass and it's like, is this just normal uh, London, not future-proofing anything? And, then, and for the first three seconds, I thought that. And then I saw a light approaching. It's like, why? This is the moment. I'm not going to die now. And the light approaches. And those seconds, endless endless seconds and then there was this guy i have been victims of of, of of crime many times in argentina so i just 
sort of known the procedure. Wow. I was waiting patiently, sitting down, and I said, hi. <laughs> and this person was very anxious. I wasn't anxious because I was just smoking like a joint of my own to celebrate how, how well I was doing yeah. in this new life post-breakup. Yeah. I was speaking at conference. I have a new job. I was born to be free. So I was waiting there. Yeah, very calm after joint. <laughs> and he was very anxious. He was very anxious. And he said, well, don't do anything stupid, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> I was in my pyjama. Hi, what would I do? What would I do? Uh, and well, I gave him all my stuff. You know, you want this. As an Argentinian, you know that the, 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 you, if you stay alive, you win. The material stuff, you can buy them again, hopefully. So I gave him my, my tech. And before he left, this lasted like 25 or 30 seconds. I was like, you know, calm, didn't do anything. Yeah. But before, um, before uh, he left, he apologized. <laughs> This is the most British thing that has ever happened to me. He apologized. <laughs> he said he, he was going through through a really bad, uh, rough patch in his life. And he apologized for stealing my stuff. Wow. And then he left. <laughs> and, th and then the police comes, right? The police yeah. comes. They have to do the report. They ask me, was he also smoking pot? <laughs> like, of course. Of course, officer. <laughs> Uh, so I had to blame it on someone. You, you blame it on someone that is um, uh, always that they look a bit more different than you. Uh, in general, in, in Britain, you always blame it on somebody that is less white than you. I blame it on this person. I follow the procedures of this country. Also, in the middle of this thing, I was here on the news. These immigrants come to steal the NHS, come to steal the job. And it's like, this person, who I think it was a second generation, first, probably second generation uh, Southeast Asian, was stealing from me. Yeah. This British person was stealing from me. <laughs> so this is how it happened, the burglary. Wow. Wow. What an astonishing story. Well, I'm, you know, I'm... As a as someone who's never been a victim of crime, I'm glad you're very well after that. Well, it, it was it was I thought it was incredibly funny. Like they call like the the and one day when I do the beat, it will all sound like <laughs> I made it up. But it, it, um, also that was the first time I was in the newspaper in the UK. Our the Evening Standard came to interview me. This was before the Guardian. This was before the Guardian talking about my prolific comedy career. The evening standard showed to my house to ask me about the burglary. <laughs> okay, well, let's go back to your comedy career then. How did you find that first outing into stand-up? I like it that you call it uh, my career and not my kindergarten place like <laughs> my mom says. <laughs> Can you paraphrase the question? Because I, I'm not sure what, what you mean. When you uh, did your first stand-up performance how was that how did it feel yeah. what was it like I was very nervous sweating profusely <laughs> uh, at, the, at the Museum of Comedy that's where Logan Murray is yeah. uh, you have the showcase mm -hmm. it felt like a kindergarten play let's give um, some credit to my mom <laughs> and it was full of friends um, well because who else is going to, to see you perform you know we were 10 people their friends 
my friends. Mm -hmm. And I felt incredible that night because people were laughing and everybody was saying, oh, you did so well. Blah, blah. But when I see the, I don't know if I have the recording of that. I, I think I don't. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I remember watching the, the recording three months later, one month later. It's like, this is not funny. <laughs> this is profoundly not funny. <laughs> people just were just being British, telling you that you are great when you are not. <laughs> Uh, but I, it felt good. It felt real in that moment. Yeah. And many times what, when I do a show and I feel I did great, I watch the recording. When I watch it uh, like the next day, I feel, wow, this is one of the best performances of my life. I watch it two weeks later and it's like, mm, a month later, it's like, why are you doing this? Why are you still doing this? And this happened to me with every... With, with most performances, I think it, the, the effect gets lower and lower. Right. Um, sorry, the effect is less and less. Mm -hmm. But even if I watch the LGBTQ Community of the Year uh, performance now, uh, almost six months later, I would say you still have a long, a long way to go. You won that night. Yeah. But you should improve immediately. There is a reason why you are not on TV. <laughs> <laughs> and you know it well there's thousands of comedians yeah. who aren't on tv so you know there's a reason mainly you're not straight british middle-class man that went to cambridge and was part of the footlights thingy yeah. <laughs> but besides that victoria <laughs> it might have to do with your uh skill set <laughs> So from what your experience had been of or your understanding of comedy as you were growing up, obviously not so much stand up, but comedy itself, starting a career or a kindergarten play with your own comedy, was it all you dreamed or was it something completely alien to you? I had never dreamed of this. I did mm. it as an experiment. I did it um, in a moment that a lot of bizarre things like the burglary stuff happened. Yeah. Um, by the way, I want to say that when I import um, that when this happened, now there was a series of bizarre things. But when when the burglary happened, mm -hmm. uh, the building manager had my ex as the emergency contact. We were not together anymore. So he called her, and then she sent me an email saying, "I don't remember what's his name. David has just contacted me. Apparently, there was a burglary in your house. By the way, Victoria, don't use this as a, as an excuse to get." back in touch with me <laughs> so i started seeing comedy everywhere i i think these are funny circumstances but yeah. uh, the stand-up comedy or comedy itself is like the way you tell a story even if it's a funny story yeah you have to to phrase it in a way the, the structure the way you make jokes um it's different to to be uh, it's different um to be to have funny stories than to to be a comedian Ideally, as a comedian, you can make fun of everything and you could have uh, good material about, about the most boring stuff. Mm. But if you ask my friends or people who have dated me, I'm on a pathway of really strange things and statistically uh, anomalies happening to me <laughs> on a very frequent basis. <laughs> so um, I did it, like, as I said, to because I felt the need to survive. Also, I was in very constrained environments, like corporate, doing doing 
SEO, which is pretty technical, at Barclays in Canary Wharf with the most robotic people I have ever met in my life. And this was my first job in, um, in the UK. Yeah. So I couldn't understand anything. And I felt I, uh, the need to communicate and to communicate the truth. Because comedy, in comedy, you can say whatever. Yeah. And people think it's not really, really what you think. But if you hear me speaking like in real life and then in comedy, I said mostly the same things. But it's not the same to say people um, uh, to to say uh, in Argentina we have much more attractive people to in in real life than on stage. But my belief, I believe in that statement, and and I wouldn't be able to or it would be incredibly inappropriate if I, if I had said that at Barclays, but I should have, I, I would have been a very fair assessment of the workforce, I would say. Uh, so to find a way where you can say the things you, uh, an environment where it's, it's allowed to say the things yeah. you want to say, yeah. which I don't find very often uh, culturally, and also because I was an employee in a bank. Now I have my own company. I work with people that, that, get my vibe and 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 the meetings can be fun and, and there is rapport yeah so i'm a bit less constrained now but at that moment it's like i feel like um like a pressure how do you say it? it's a pressure pot when you uh, put pressure cooker like a pressure cooker i'm going to explode yeah also i was incredibly unhappy i was i was like why i'm so unhappy I came, I came to London. I always wanted to come to London. The promised land by the, the Spice Girl. I got my <laughs> first job at Barclays, which was paying like very good money. And why was I so unhappy? If, if I could do anything, yeah. I was going to the theater so often. I was going to, to really nice restaurants. Why uh, am I so unhappy with my life if uh, it looks like I have everything or everything I wanted? Yeah. So it's a pathway to be a bit less, to get more satisfaction, right? Um, for me, at least. Yeah. I don't want to be deeply unhappy. A level of unhappy because I'm Argentinian and dramatic, but deeply <laughs> unhappy with your life. Um, yeah. What would I be, British? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's interesting. I mean, performing to British audiences, and you talk about being Argentinian. How does the British audience respond, generally speaking? Well, they don't, they don't speak, so <laughs> they don't respond. What do you mean by generally speaking? How do they respond to to the jokes that I make about them? Or exactly, yes, uh, comedy. A lot of comedians that I see are quite self-deprecating, um, but you yourself, and rightly so, talk about I'm very beautiful and I'm Argentinian and we're passionate and we're powerful and you know you British you eat baked beans I mean what's how does a British audience feel about being uh, looked down on I don't know bullied roasted roasted thank you yeah well they love it <laughs> it's like uh it's because ultimately it's salomasochistic you're salomasochistic um and you I don't know they I have been on 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 TikTok, for example. I have been trolled many times, but never never somebody has says I disagree with Argentinians being more attractive people. Fair enough. Never. <laughs> uh, for example, 
it's like um I felt that um I don't feel people take it offensively. Mm-hmm. And because self-deprecating is a value, it's not a value, it's not the ethos of your comedians, but it's also the ethos of the people. Right? It's like, oh, Britain sucks. I don't know why people even come here. Except you are from the UKIP or Rishi Sanak's team. <laughs> but let's talk about normal people. Normal people you can meet at oh, normal audience members are too not down mm. or uh, I don't know, angel comedy. Yeah. It's like British dislike themselves very much. <laughs> I don't know why. They are constantly ashamed. And but they are ashamed of everything besides <laughs> history, which is fine. All country, every country fucked it up. Every country fucked it up in the 19th century, uh, 19th and 20th century, not just the British, the French, and the German, right? Argentina has done atrocious stuff uh, to native people and, and, and history is, is tragic for, for most countries mm-hmm. but I don't know what makes uh, and this is like a comedic research that, that uh, and a question I would like to find the answer for I don't know what makes British people so embarrassed <laughs> the normal ones not the UK this is this is still this is a fairly stable country a fairly stable economy you could change the tide. You have to vote differently, but you, you can change the tide. Um, there are very good things here besides the food and the people. But um, overall, when immigrants come here, they like it. Immigrants come here and they do things, make money, uh, make uh, out of London in particular a home. Mm-hmm. But I don't know why people here are so upset, and they hate London also. They are so upset about being British and and uh, living in London and all of these things. Like, how can you live in London? It's like, have you ever lived in Cordoba? Like, <laughs> I swear there are worse places to live than London. Or why do you? Or why, if you can live every, anywhere in Europe, why are you here? All right? It's like, well, I, here you can make a lot of money. And tax is very low. It used to be low uh, before the the before Rishi turned into a socialist. <laughs> it it, um, it there was a lot of opportunity and 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 taxes were very low. And I'm I'm speaking like like a Tory right now. Um, well, I have a business. It's important for me. I have a business here, so it's important for me. Um, so I don't know why. I, I I think I like overall I like Britain more than British people. <laughs> uh, but it's a it's a sign of maturity when people just accept the things. Yeah. Accept the things they cannot change. Accept their fate. <laughs> and, and what what is the the prey? Give me the the prey of addiction programs. Give me the strength to change the things that I can change and accept the things I cannot change. Yeah. So I like Britain more than I what I say on stage. Uh, but generally, when I bully British people, which is all the time, they like it. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a refreshing perspective if everybody's detrimental. If everybody say, "Oh, I'm so, I'm so ugly," that blah 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 blah, that uh, and somebody says somebody says something different. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just very cocky. Yeah. <laughs> 
and it worked in Cobrera. <laughs> Um, well, you mentioned a moment ago um, about the LGBTQ plus new comedian of the year from which you emerged triumphant. Congratulations. Thank you. I was the Morocco of comedy. <laughs> nice. You also, uh, you were semi-finalist in 2020 in the Funny Women and Two North Down new act. Now, that must have been a very different beast because I think they were over Zoom. Is that right? Uh, the first, the Tuner Down wasn't over Zoom. In 2020, I was semi, I was semi-finalist of Tuner Down. Yes. This was February 2020, semi-final of Tuner Down. And I was saying, this is my year in comedy. This is my year. <laughs> Nobody can stop me now. <laughs> One month later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, when people say nobody can stop you, what yourself? One month later, we are we're locked down for the next year and a half. Yes, that's why um, Funny Women was. Uh, uh, I was semi finalist two times this year and that year. Yeah, the first time I was a semi finalist, I was very excited. Now, uh, now I don't get so excited about Zoom competitions, but those were the 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 like the first competitions for me. And yeah. again, this is still an experiment. I never thought that I would get anywhere with comedy. Okay. I thought it would be like, I don't know, football. Activities that I have taken socially and you meet some people, but you understand you're, it's a hobby and you're not going to be good at it. Right. I don't know if winning a competition makes you uh, declares you you're good but it looks like a like a label right like okay you hmm. you could be good you could uh, take this to to another level which i never thought until until this year right uh i i i didn't think i was uh good enough let's say good enough mm -hmm. that's so out of character <laughs> This is because I'm opening my car, my heart in this, in this blog, in this, in this blockchain, <laughs> in, this, in this podcast. I'm opening my heart to the blockchain. It's so much on brand that to say I'm opening my heart on this podcast. I never thought I would win anything or I would do anything relevant in comedy. I have done a little, some little stuff, but well, I hope that I, I continue to. Mm. To taking this outside of the hobby to to a more um, to feel like an entertainer. I now I feel like I'm doing. Yeah. Before, I didn't think that. All right. Do you feel validated when you perform at these competitions? Does it, I mean, if it's not about the winning necessarily, and even to get a few people who sort of say yes, we think you're the best of what we've just seen. So that must be at least be some sort of small validation to sort of say, yes, I can keep pushing because the next one will be better and the next one will be better. Well, obviously, I mean, the the judges were Zoe Lyons, uh, which I, I admire very much. Sikisa, who is a colleague that we have, we have, um, I think we have seen each other perform for the last three years. Mm. So it's, it's great to see someone like her who has just been alive in the Apollo, then judging and say, I think that, yeah. You deserve to win. I have seen your process because she, she and um, she was the only one from the judges that um, has seen me before. She has performed at my 
uh, night, uh, both mamas and clandestina. Yeah. I didn't brag her if you were thinking about that. But people <laughs> that are that have never seen you before, like Zoe Lyon, they said, hey, I think you were the best yeah. um, of this bunch. Evidently, you feel validated from people around the industry. And also, the, this competition ha- uh, also had an audience vote. Mm. So to feel validated by both yeah. uh, is, is a great thing. Also, and, and who doesn't like to be cheered by 400 people, 300 people? Everybody wants to take a picture with you. Everybody says, tells you you're great. It's like you feel like a rock star for the next <laughs> 48 hours. Like everybody buys you drink. Three girls ask me out on the spot. People I didn't know. They asked me out on dates. Like, what is happening? <laughs> like, do you really feel this is the this is the right moment? Anyway, I wouldn't I wouldn't have gone uh, on on dates with any of these people, but it was just really weird, right? <laughs> really weird. Um, yeah, it reminds me of this guy who he has um what's the name of this guy who there is a documentary that is called Wire, Wire documentary. I don't know. Uh, and he, this is the part where I go to very strange. Man on the Wire. Oh. It's a documentary about Philippe Petit. Yeah. So when Philippe Petit does his great, the, the last, the last of his tricks that he will go from the, from one twin tower to the other. Uh, the moment, the moment he comes out of the wire, the uh, the police stops him. But then a woman, a, a stranger, a, a strange woman he has just met has sex with him. <laughs> he has a girlfriend, by the way, uh, uh, and I don't think she was aware of it. But it felt like you like me because I I have just done something that looks like great in the public mm. eye. But do you really like me? Felipe did also not so pleasant to the eye but he did this thing and suddenly this woman in New York goes and have sex with him mm-hmm. is that pain well, yeah so we've seen so I feel I feel validated I feel validated that's the answer to the question yeah so tell me about your comedy night then clandestina I'm glad you can pronounce it properly I thought I was the only person in the city that, that could do that so I name it clandestina because um, it means illegal. Also, clandestine is a name, it's a word in English, but most people don't know that it exists. Therefore, most people cannot pronounce the name of my night. So it's in Spanish. Um, it, I mean, the name is Spanish, not the night. Uh, and it's a queer women-led comedy night. Mm-hmm. So there are no, when we started Clandestina, we started under another name and there were not so many queer comedy nights. Now I think there are four or five and and it continues growing and it's a good thing to see more diversity in the world. But we started during uh, the pandemic. I think that I started this night because I needed a reason to live during uh, COVID. As you know, as everyone knows, there was no comedy and I wanted to continue doing comedy somehow. Mm-hmm. So I did a lot of uh, writing with Laura Lex mm-hmm. and and I didn't want to stop. So I had to do something and 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 there were it was where there were some shows already. Yeah. So I did the funny women semifinals online. 
there was um, Catherine Bohart and Sarah Keyworth, who were uh, a couple at the time, who had their their comedy night online as well. Yeah. And and I wanted to do something. I wanted to have a show. And we started running the show. We started running the show. Um, we was on Zoom, just 60 to 80 people on monthly basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was good to see. This is important. This was important for me first because I could be part, I could feel like a comedian still. And also it was good to network because I could have access to any comedian, very mm-hmm. big comedians, whether they were based in London or not. And a lot of people told me after performers and an audience that that was one of the best shows they performed that or that they saw during during COVID. Uh, it's yeah. it's quite challenging to do comedy on Zoom. I don't wish it to anyone, and that's why <laughs> I get so a bit frustrated too when when I have to do a a competition when I have to participate yeah. online. I understand the logistic. I understand that is the most practical way to do it. Yeah, uh, but it's not something that, that I enjoy the most. However, I think that I sort of applaud the courage of uh, of funny women to be the the first ones who did this, mm-hmm. and also the people that started doing the comedy night online, like Sarah and Catherine, just from the beginning yeah. of COVID. It took me took me a long it took me a couple of months to to see if I, if, if this was going to to dare to do it, you always say, "Okay, well, I might fail," but I, I now I, I feel that nothing happens if you fail. Nothing happens if you don't sell tickets. Nothing happens. It's worse when you don't try. Particularly in comedy, that we need more voices, we need new formats. Mm-hmm. So now, uh, if I needed to try something new, I feel that it would take me less time to to actually do it. Yeah. And of course, taking Clandestina to the Edinburgh Fringe, not only a show that you were in for to the world's largest arts festival, but also a mixed bill. So suddenly you're running a night and it's a bigger responsibility on top of performing at the Edinburgh Fringe. How was it? How did it go? How did it feel? Yeah, well, running a night is always, I always get more nervous about running the night than about performing. Hmm. And I feel that affects my performance. Because you, I want people to have a be, the best time. I want they feel they paid money. Uh, their the money they pay for the ticket gets is value. In the case of yeah. Edinburgh Fringe, it was was free, but in London, this is not the cheapest case. I want people to have a good time, mm-hmm. and I want people to feel that they are listening to voices that are not generally represented on mainstream media or mainstream comedy. That's why we put together a queer comedy night for. Um, particularly for women, mm-hmm. particularly for women. Um, I feel it's important because it creates community. Uh, gay people, we are like sort of forced to socialize in <laughs> clubs during yeah. the night. You're gay, you live uh, through the night, right? That, that's where society, this is where you're going to meet your friends, your lovers, everyone. Mm. I'm 36 years old. I am cold. At night, <laughs> on days like this, that is two degrees be- below zero. I I want to socialize in more organic places. Yeah. I I want to know that I can meet people in other places. So as a person, like uh, that's the biggest achievement of of that night. 
to have uh, that people feel represented, that people feel that they can go to a show and have a good time and they can have a drink or a chat with somebody they have just met, whether it's for friendship or romance mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, to create community, it, it's more important for me to create a community than to have a, a good comedy show. All right. The idea of those things come together. Yeah. That's a lot mm-hmm. for anyone. Uh, and most people that go to Edinburgh Fringe, if you can ask them if they had a good time, they don't. <laughs> don't have a good time at Edinburgh Fringe, particularly if you're producing and performing. Yeah. Uh, I'm happy I, I went with, with Charlie George, which is a, a close collaborator to, to the night. And, and she's somebody that wants to see the night succeed. Now she's the resident MC. Mm-hmm. We are having a monthly show at um, The Glory, yep. which hopefully you can come on February 2nd is our opening night. Uh, I have Jen Ives and Olga Marvelous. Charlie and me. I think that's a good lineup. I'm still defining a, a third, uh, a fourth, sorry, a fifth act. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to have, I want to have a token act because this is mostly for queer women. Yeah. But I want to have a token act that it's um, that doesn't necessarily have to be a woman or identify as a woman, or that it could be a straight. You could be so it could be queer men or a straight woman. That's the token. Right. That's queer math. <laughs> queer man equals the same in terms of privilege and annoyance than a straight woman. Okay. So I, because. There are, <laughs> Uh, I want there are there are acts that will fit very well with my audience, whether they are not uh, women or whether they are not uh, queer. So, for example, one performer that that our audience loves, well, because she's brilliant and, and she's great, is Fatiha uh, El Gori. Yeah, mm-hmm. is a very good. We have had her as a headliner two times, and it's always a blast because she's a well, an incredible comedian, but also. It's a comedian that probably my audience are not so used to see. That I don't feel that the the people that come to see my show have a lot of contact with uh, a Muslim woman that wears a jihad and her perspective, her jokes, her view of the world. Yeah. I want these two two communities to talk to each other. Yeah. And to understand each other. So uh, people like her, I want in my night, and she loves our night too. So hopefully we can have her back. So, as well as uh, February 2nd, where else can we find out about where you're performing, what your upcoming shows are? How can we find out about you? Well, I have a website. <laughs> uh, you can find me. Uh, I have a website, victoriaalcina.com, and I also am on social media. If you go to Victoria underscore comedian on TikTok or on Instagram, you can see my link tree, and that will give you an effortless link to my website. <laughs> um, I'm also preparing a 45. I'm trying to put together everything that I have for a 45 minute work in progress. Mm-hmm. And hopefully next year we will, at some point, it happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, I only have the plan of putting it together. <laughs> at some point next year, I want to, to do this live with people. Yeah. I'll let you know if you want to come and see it um but those mm-hmm. are my and i'm going to i think that i'm going to dedicate more time to online content this year right as well at tiktok and instagram mm-hmm. and yeah those are my plans you can check my gigs on social media or on on my website 
and hopefully I have something interesting <laughs> in a long form content. Yeah. Then win awards and people say it's the voice of a generation, something like that. Yeah. Like um, Lara Ricott. Ah. I want to be the Lara Ricott of Britain. <laughs> uh, yeah, she's she's um I met her, she's lovely. I'm happy to see more Latin American voices represented. For example, Larry Ricos is another is another person that would suit on the very well in the in the clandestine audience and, yeah. and I want to have those kind of tokens that are brilliant, even though it's not the theme of the night per se. I, I want to yeah. have more voices represented. So come to my show, February the second at the Glory. Tickets are on sale. We have a great lineup. Blah 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 blah. I'm a marketer <laughs> and a comedian. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> Is that how you finish your podcast? It's twelve. It's tw- it's midday for the people who who are listening now. <laughs> Well, we finish always the same way. When I ask the question, Victoria, can you please summarize comedy in a nutshell? Oh, you sent me an email about this, and I and I thought I had to prepare something, but uh, I didn't. <laughs> um, what is comedy? I think that comedy is a healing exercise for comedians. Ah. It's a therapeutic. It's a healing exercise for comedians and for audiences. Hmm. When you listen to comedy, or when you laugh. It's like everything you're going through stops. It's like a temporary relief. Hmm. It's a social service. It's a temporary relief from pain. Yeah. Comedy is a temporary relief from pain. Hmm. Mic drop. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> this is for me. This is for me. Um, actually, once my therapist said, here in therapy, we come, you we, you deal with things, but the way you transform things is with art. The way you transform things, in your case, is with comedy. So everything that happens that is, I mean, most of the bad things, because we make jokes about, um, or myself at least, about the things we don't like about the world. Yeah. But when you put it into a story, when you make it funny, inside of you, there's something that feels less wrong that you feel better about the thing that was bothering you before. Yeah. That's for me. Victoria, thank you so much for being my guest. It's been an absolute delight. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for inviting me to this podcast. I, again, from this exercise that started from a hobby, I never thought I would be interviewed <laughs> in a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's been it's been absolutely delightful i can't say it any other way i've really enjoyed it thank you thank you so much mark 